Nicely worked out to Darius Turner, the captain. Jansen. Oh, and it's beyond Visa. He got a touch on it, the goalkeeper. And for the second time, Shakhtar Donetsk lead this final. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the teams of our lives with myself and that man, Andy Brassel. Andy, how are you? Yay! Oh, I'm good, thanks. Toot toot. Good to see you, Brassel. Likewise. Uh, my I think goodness. the use of that nickname is particularly pertinent in this episode. It is. It Spilinho. is. Yes. Because, ladies and gentlemen... We're not doing a Brazilian side. We're doing a side which featured a number of Brazilians. It's the Shakhtar Donetsk UEFA Cup winning side of 2008-2009. Oh, my goodness. Whoop, can whoop. you feel it? I can feel it. These <laughs> were um, quite the side, Andy. I, uh, I'd sort of forgotten about them uh, until you mentioned them when we were talking about which teams to do. And, of course, this was the side that boasted the likes of Fernandinho and Willian, uh, the, the most the most notable two, I suppose. Also, Luis Adriano, uh, Jadson, and Ilsinho, I believe, is uh, was, was, the, was, the, was the last one. Essentially, the forward line. All the forward players were Brazilians. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the back line was, was sort of largely um, Ukrainians and Dario Serna uh, and maybe one or two others. Uh, but it was... It was an interesting year for Shakhtar, this, because they didn't actually defend their league title or the domestic cup that they'd won in the previous season. Um, And so you could say, well, actually, in terms of trophy haul, it was less successful. But of course, this year was special because they became the first Ukrainian side to win the UEFA Cup, which is, of course, now the Europa League, OVS. Um, And a very rare thing in history for a a Ukrainian side to reach a European final, let alone win one. Um, A Ukrainian side, uh, even when uh, the Ukraine was under the Soviet Union, had never reached and still hasn't reached the European Cup or Champions League final. Dynamo Mm. Kiev came close in in 1999. The only times that a Ukrainian side won a European competition uh, it was when Dynamo Kiev won the Cup Winners' Cup, the now defunct Cup Winners' Cup, of course, in in seventy five and eighty six. Um, so actually, it's, it was a huge season uh, for Shakhtar Donetsk and Ukrainian football in in general. I don't know if other Ukrainians think that, but I'm, I'm sure certainly some will. Uh, it's for a Ukrainian side to to win the UEFA Cup, and, and since two thousand and nine, only Dnipro reached the final and obviously lost to Sevilla. Um, if you didn't win the the uh, 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 Europa League then, or the, or the UEFA Cup in the modern era, you just presume that Sevilla beat you in the final. <laughs> you know, that's it's always best to go, or maybe Atletico Madrid uh, on on a, on a more odder year. So, uh, quite incredible, Andy. When you when you put it into context, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk winning the UEFA Cup. Yeah, and I think you made a really interesting point there about uh, teams from the former Soviet Union markets because there was this sense as if there was a a firm breeze from the east coming over European competition <laughs> at, at, at this point. Um, because, of course, Zenit St. Petersburg won the UEFA Cup the previous year in mm. Manchester against Rangers in the in, in the final. Yeah. And then you get to the back end of this UEFA Cup that, that Shakhtar won. Now, we'll come on to Shakhtar specifically in a bit. But if you look at the knockout stages of this competition... There is not one, not two, but three Ukrainian sides in it. Yeah, so absolutely. you've got Dynamo Kiev, um, 
you've got um, Metalist Kharkiv, who don't even exist anymore, yeah. but who post-war and post-displacement from the Donbass region, Shakhtar actually end up playing at their stadium. Then you've got uh, CSKA Moskva, who won the 2005 edition, who were in the knockouts as as, as well. And Siska uh, and um, <clears throat> Dinamo are both teams, and we'll, we'll come to Dinamo in a bit, that mm. Shakhtar had to be on the way. Zenit were defending their trophy as well. And Zenit uh, were brilliant when they won the UEFA Cup, by the way. You know, Asharvin really, and, and other one or two other names. Yeah, Andre Timoshuk, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, they, they were a terrific side. And so not only was it a really stacked UEFA Cup, but it was really stacked with Ukrainian and, and Russian sides, I think, which is which is remarkable and maybe something that we can't imagine even, mm-hmm. what, 12 years on as, as we record it now. But when you look at Shakhtar in particular, um, it's, it's all about the Michel Luchescu project. And um, he's someone who um, has a background, of course, not just in Romanian, Turkish, um, Italian and to a lesser extent Spanish football as well. He's a polyglot. He's very culturally adventurous. Mm. And when he gets the Shakhtar job in 2004, he wants to bring a different type of game. He wants to bring a a bit more flair. And he does something that you probably couldn't do today and uses his connections to get players in from Brazil. Um, because to add this sprinkling of of flair to the team and evolve the the style. Now it's maybe easier to do this fifteen years ago because say let's take I, I know a player but like let's just pick a pick a player out of the air. Say Gabriel Jesus for example. Mm-hmm. In those days, a player like that coming directly to um, the Premier League is almost impossible mm-hmm. in terms of uh, work permit. And in terms of uh, exceptional circumstances to that. So there's an opportunity for, with smart scouting and with a lot of money, because Shakhtar were very well backed by um, Rina Akhmatov, uh, the potash billionaire as well. Um, they were able to offer really great conditions to Brazilians to come to Europe for the first time. And of course, once the first couple work out, yeah, then it becomes word of mouth it becomes a pathway Absolutely, and it becomes yeah. a community mm-hmm. I think I mean, andy was- would, I, would it sorry to butt in but would it be right Not saying all- that as you say you know brazilians going to one or two of the kind of bigger leagues in in europe it, unless they were well obviously already playing in europe um but unless they were perhaps exceptional or it was a huge fee something like that it just it, as you say it would never happen it had to be quite exceptional circumstances and it felt like risk as well. Yeah. Um, I think you look at the age that a lot of these players are, are brought across mm-hmm. to Shakhtar. I mean, you look at Willian, you mentioned him in, in, mm-hmm. in the intro, Marcus, and he was like 20 years old when he yeah. played in this UEFA Cup final. And, you know, to have the opportunity not just to um, play in big finals, because, of course, as you said, this was the first time a Ukrainian team got to a, um, a, a UEFA Cup final but to have involvement in high-level European competition. Because if we go back, 
Shakhtar started the season in the Champions League. Mm. And in the last game of the groups, and they were in a fairly difficult group, they ended up beating Barcelona at Camp Nou. Now, Barcelona had rested a few for an upcoming Classico, but still, for Shakhtar to go to Camp Nou and, and, and win is really an indication of their sense of adventure. Guardiola's just, first season as well. Yes. And and, and, that's and his the, most successful season, we yes, need to remind ourselves. Ab- absolutely. And, and th- this was the thing that most struck me when I first saw Shakhtar, that sense of adventure, because... I guess I first saw them in the flesh maybe the season before when I started covering games in in Portugal and I saw them win very impressively at Benfica, a very like cacophonous Stadio de Luz. So they're under a lot of pressure. There were traveling fans from Ukraine in those days, different political um, landscape, of course. And... um, they were just so calm on the ball. I thought the mm. way that they played, the way that they played, if you put them in blank strips and covered the players' faces, yeah, 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 yeah. you could tell you could tell now mm. that it was Shakhtar even then because of the way they circulated the ball, because of the, the movement, because of the way everyone was mm-hmm. comfortable in it. Now, I think of the winning goal from that night when they beat Benfica 1-0 actually and saw it out under great pressure, like really calmly. The goal is an incredible move between Razvan Ratz, um, Fernandinho, who gets himself in a position from Ratz pass where it looks like he's going to slot it in himself. Mm-hmm. And instead he faces up the keeper, squares it to Jadson, who just smashes it into the top of the net above two guys on on, on the line. And it's almost like a five-a-side goal. You know mm. when you're playing five-a-side and you're thinking – God, these lot are really much better than us. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those type of goals, but scored in a Champions League context. And that says a lot about not just the players that um, Luchescu brought in, but the sort of way he wanted to, to play the game. And I think that lineage of how Shakhtar play the game is something that they've become synonymous with. I think mm. it's, it's made them famous across across Europe, really, playing the game like that. Yeah, this, I mean, this period really was when we came to know Shakhtar, I, I would sort of suggest, unless, I mean, mm. correct me if I'm wrong, because there was still um, there was still an element of the unknown, I suppose. I know by this point, you know, we're well-versed in the internet and so on and so forth, but we weren't actually as well-versed as we are now in terms of information and video clips and and this, that, and the others about about players. Even even then, it, it was not that long ago. But it well, it was know, pre broadband for a lot of people, wasn't it? So yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think you look at and pre HD for a lot of people. So mm. not only did we have less access to live streams and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. if you saw highlights, nine times out of ten, they're a you bit couldn't shit really. as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so, yeah, they look decent enough. I can't really uh, see what's going it, on. It's, it's true. It does make an absolutely massive difference. Yeah, but I think the other thing about this. Shakhtar is not mm. just the fact that Luchescu is iconic and a great communicator. Well, one of the most decorated manage, one of the most decorated managers yeah. of all time. Just in case you're thinking, I'm sure most people have heard of Luchescu. I don't want to be sort of patronising, but I, I knew he was this sort of legendary manager. When you look at his um, achievements, and I understand, you know, he, he didn't win, you know, La Liga, Serie A, or Premier League or Bundesliga time and time again. I, I get that, but still. He has a, a big old trophy cabinet. Yeah, and um, he was absolutely worshipped in 
in Turkey. He was loved by Bajiktas fans. And that later on, after he'd left Shakhtar, persuaded the Turkish FA to bring him in as national coach, mm. which was an absolute shambles. But it, <laughs> it showed that like more than a decade on, what, 15 years on, he still had an enormous stock in the in, in the in the country. And so it's not just about the way he played, but the stability that he created. I mean, we talked about Shakhtar being synonymous with a certain way of playing. I think if you look down some of those players, you, I think it would be normal to presume Shakhtar as, I, I guess, some sort of terminus for Brazilian players who are ambitious to make it into mm-hmm. Europe on their way to somewhere else. But then you look at how long those guys stayed. You know, Fernandinho stayed for, what, seven years? Yeah. Willian was there for for six. Mm. Luis Adriano was there for the best part of a decade. And mm-hmm. Ilzinho was there for um, six, seven years on and off. All these players were were part of it. For they couldn't have hated time. it, could they? <laughs> exactly. Ilzinho had two spells. And th- there were... There are two keys to this. I think one, the cultural sensitivity of the club, understanding what these guys needed in in many cases, what was um, an unusual culture, an unusual climate. I mean, these Shakhtar players created a mini Brazilian community in, nice. in, in Donetsk. And that was something that was really important to them. You know, they'd get together, they'd... Um, have barbecues around each other's houses. <laughs> they'd, they'd watch global on television. They'd Skype their mates at, at home. And having that network of support really helped. But in all this time and going forward when they continue to be successful, Fernandinho is is the heart of this. Mm. He's from a very young age, the dad of the dressing room. Now he's a, a bit of a different player then because at this point, when we're talking about 2009 Fernandinho, he's more of a box-to-box midfielder. He can get in the penalty box and make stuff happen. He's not just the sitter like he is at Manchester City nowadays, which is, has come with age and I think he's normal because he's tactically so astute as well. Mm. I mean, I've interviewed him quite a lot of times and he's a bit like Rafa Benitez. He's never more alive than when you engage him and when you talk to him about tactics. Yeah. If you, if you talk to him about... He would have realised that about Rafa. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, when, when you talk to Fernandinho about like some of his great matches or some of his experiences at places, it can be a bit like two sentences. When you start talking to him about how the team ticks and where his role in it is, his eyes light up and all mm. of a sudden he can't... You know, he, he could he could talk the hind legs off a donkey. Mm-hmm. But that communication in the dressing room as well is really important because of all the Brazilian players that go through, and you know, I'm sure there are others we've left out, Brandao, for example, Alano, who ended up at Manchester City yeah. as, 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 as well at, at one point. Fernandinho is the one who learns how to speak Russian. Mm. And that means he is the conduit between the Brazilian um, clan well, maybe clan's not the right word, the Brazilian corner of the dressing room Mm -hmm. and the rest of the players. He's the conduit between those players and the board. He makes sure everyone's happy, everyone's looked after, everyone's needs are met, gets across how they're feeling and creates that bond so it's not a clique. So he pulls the whole dressing room together. That's so vital. 
and that so is vital. that is so important. Yeah, because as you say, culturally, Brazil and Ukraine. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Two countries were so far apart um, with 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 various sort of cultural references and, and and norms and 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 so on. I'm sure there are. You can always find similarities, of course, but but. On, on the face of it, certainly, mm. as someone who is pretty ignorant to both cultures, really, uh, it just seems like that is a they're worlds apart. Um, and so to have someone like that, I mean, it shows you the, the the type of man he is, as you say, and and why he's been such a stalwart for Manchester City in various types of Manchester City sides and and managers, and why they're so reluctant to um, to. Well, not reluctance, not the right word, because I mean, you know, he is getting older. It's not like he's thinking, oh, I'm not really enjoying this so much. But that, but why he's been so so vitally important to them, and how he made that transition mm. from 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 such a thing. I mean, you know, the, I, going back to sort of what you said about Luchescu and so on. I think what I think is incredible about the Shakhtar side is they had that playing style, their identity was that they were the Ukrainian side with Brazilian flair if you like mm. when you have that it's it's such a it's such a beautiful marvelous thing that you have a side like this and yes winning domestic trophies is obviously very important they kind of cleaned up at times but getting that european trophy it almost validates it i suppose for a side who who are not playing in one of europe's top leagues let's be honest mm. but it does validate the work and the effort going in there in 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 such a historical way that it is set in stone forever. It does. It's absolutely remarkable. And I think in terms of the continuation of what Luchescu is trying to build there, um, it's really important because if you can say to other players, and we talked about um, the word of mouth and uh, you know success perpetuating success as far as Brazilian players go at, at Shakhtar, um, it makes players from all over South America mm. and other players want to get involved as as well. Puts them on the and, map. Yeah, absolutely. It makes the the current ones want to stay as well, and it does create that that longevity, that fact that we can continue to achieve stuff together and all, all that sort of business. And th- the fact that Shakhtar won it in this year, and we'll come back to how they got to the final in a minute, Marcus, but. Mm. For them to do it in this year was really big because they're still playing at the Olympiski in Donetsk at the time, which is about 24,000. Mm-hmm. It's not until autumn that um, they move to the Donbass Arena, which is where the club and the enthusiasm for it and the harnessing not just of Donetsk but of a whole region really the Donbass region um, is all brought together because I remember actually a, a, a Fulham fan who's, who's a friend of mine saying um, to me that when she went to see Fulham away at Shakhtar Donetsk mm. the, the following year it must have been in, in the UEFA Cup um, you, you approach the stadium and back then it was like a spaceship you know, it was yeah. the most modern stadium she'd ever seen. It yeah. was it was amazing. And then you think of when you get in there, this monument to Shakhtar's successes mm-hmm. 
cacophonous as well really really noisy um really hostile place to to go to now sadly if you look back because of what's happened since with the war they had less than five years worth of play there Mm. for such an iconic stadium Uh, maybe one day we'll they'll get back there who knows i mean we'll see but it, it felt as if something massive was happening we talked about the fact that teams from the east from the old Eastern Bloc doing more and more in UEFA competitions. And then to finally be the first Ukrainian team to win the UEFA Cup mm-hmm. and then step up another level by moving into this incredible stadium mm-hmm. later on in the year. It just meant 2009 was an unbelievable year for them. Yeah, it was the last UEFA Cup. Yeah. So much like much like Sven's Lazio, they uh, they were the last <laughs> ones uh, to, uh, to to have that trophy, uh, and, and on the way to the final, as as you mentioned, you know there was uh, three um, Ukrainian sides. And that's because Shakhtar originally in the Champions League they they got knocked out of their group, which had uh, Guardiola's Barcelona, Sporting, and Basel. Um, and so they, in the in they went to the cup, and in the round of thirty two, they knocked out Tottenham Hotspur. 3-1 on aggregate. They did. I mean, it was kind of um, much rotated Tottenham side. I remember yeah. Dean Parrott, who ended up playing for Wimbledon, played in both of those games. He nearly scored in the first one mm. in, in, in Donetsk. But Harry Redknapp had turned his team upside down for both of those games, and particularly the second one, because they were just about to play in the League Cup final. Mm-hmm. Against Manchester United, I think it was. Um, so, a, again, heavy rotation. But... It's when you get past that and when you get to the thick end of the the competition where mm-hmm. first they play Tsiuska mm-hmm. and then after getting past Marseille, which was tough because that was a that was a really good Marseille side under well, Eric Gerrits. Hatton Ben Arthur scored Andy in that in that uh, round yeah, for he Marseille. Did. And, and that away leg in the velodrome, they they were under the pump. They were mm. properly under the pump. And talking about them staying calm in big atmospheres. They really did that that night. I mean, mm. they only had a couple of chances and that th- they took them. I think it was uh, Fernandinho and uh, Luis Adriano who ended up scoring the winner late, late on. Um, and in between, they had to do a lot of defending. Mm-hmm. And then they come up against Dinamo Kiev, who they're trying to reach some sort of parity with domestically, mm. who are traditionally the biggest club in Ukraine, who are a team that have been there and done it in European competition. And as you say, not just winning the Cup Winners Cup, but getting to the, the Champions League semis in, in, in 99. And and also finished 15 points, I think it was above them in the league that season. Yeah. And they managed to knock them out, yeah. which is absolutely huge. It was a close one. It was a, it was a close four game, that one. It was a last minute winner from uh, Il Signo at home. That, that, that clinched it. But again... You yeah, it would have been extra enough. time otherwise, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Again, Dynamo Kiev, 15 points um, above them they, they won the league by. But then I suppose with Shakhtar, if you think about their European campaign, we'll call it, because obviously they started in the, um, in the Champions League, they started that European campaign in mid-August against mm. um, Dynamo Zagreb in the third quali- qualifying round for the Champions League. So they have to, to, to go through. Now, I know everyone in the Europa League played a group stage as well. They didn't have to do that. But it was pretty vigorous playing Sporting and Barcelona and whatnot. Mm. And then they go into, um, into the uh, uh, Europa League. So it's, it's not too surprising they couldn't quite do the uh, 
domestic double as they had the previous season. Mm. Uh, but there they were in the final and they played Werder Bremen, another rare finalist, we should say. Werder Bremen, it was an all-Ukrainian semi-final. It was an all-German semi-final on the other side of the draw because they faced uh, Hamburg, of course. Yeah, so it was the Nord derby between Werder Bremen and Hamburg, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and and they, they played Werder Bremen in the final. And and one two one after extra time, and it was uh, watching highlights. I uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I couldn't quite remember the final itself. And I was watching the highlights. It was a bit of a ding dong. It wasn't a bad game, although Shakhtar looked really good the better game. side. Really good game, mm. and this was a really very good Werder Bremen side as well. Okay, not the equal of the two thousand and four double winners, um, but some big players, some big personalities in there. Uh, Frank Bauman, who um, mm. scored the what turned out to be the winner against Hamburg in the semi-final. He's now the sporting director, um, but he'd been in the team when they won the 2004 double. You had um, Clements Fritz, Naldo, Meza Ozil, Claudio Pizarro. Claudio Pizarro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. They're all in there. So it was it was a decent side. And um, a- another wonderfully Shakhtar thing happened in this final in the, after Luis Adriano gave them the lead. Just an unbelievable mistake from Piatov yeah. for the equaliser. And he's a goalkeeper who, you know, he's, he's still there, just to underline. Yeah. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's still yeah. there, just yeah. as Dario Sjona is, just having just retired as an uh-huh. assistant coach. And, uh, I mean, Naldo knows how to hit a free kick. Let's not mm. make any mistake mm. about that. But still, Piatov has really had to be saving this and and he didn't but one of the amazing things about Piatov is how he can make these terrible mistakes and then go on and make great saves and just mm. keep going he's almost like a junior Taffarel in that sense <laughs> in that you know he's made some huge mistakes in his career but he's never let those mistakes characterize his career which I think mm. is is really interesting Andy, a little word on, on the man you just mentioned there, Dario Serna, because if we're talking Shakhtar, especially this period, we've got to mention him, the the the, the captain, of course, um, for the of the side. I, I've got, I'm pretty sure he was captain of this side. He was certainly captain yeah, for many was. seasons there. Um, and, of course, you know, many Croatian caps, which is perhaps where, where people would maybe know him from. Yeah, and um, he set up the winner, of course, mm. um, for um, Jadson in, in this. And... Um, but he's Jadson, been, who was so good at breaking into the box yeah. undetected. I know people will say he's quite small, but his, his movement <laughs> is so good. He's not um, Tom Thumb, is he? You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the the way that Serna sees him pulls the ball back into the spot where mm. he knows he's going to be because he always makes that run. The finish, he, he didn't the catch goalkeeper. it as well as he, he wanted, and yeah, Tim Visa, who mm. um, was not. Um, fettered by such huge muscles as he has been in latter days since he's turned to wrestling. Could have got hold of it a little bit better, but mm. there's just so much traffic in front of yeah. him. You can't, you can't really see it, it properly. A little bit tricky. And, and just crept into the corner. But Serna just always kept running. I mean, you know, he was one of the most adventurous fullbacks you'll ever see. A mm. smart defender as well. Ended up being... Um, record breaker for Croatia too. And he was just someone who absolutely embodied Shakhtar in, in every way. Um, he's a voice of Lechescu on the pitch, like Fernandinho, one of the real leaders of the, of the team. And yeah, I, I mean, it never seemed like Shakhtar without Dario Sierna. 
Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah, they, they wrote themselves in the history books, that, that Shakhtar, Donetsk, winning the, the last UEFA Cup, of course. They, they, um, they were in the Europa League, as it was then rebranded the following season. I uh, didn't manage to defend their crown, though, did they, Andy? <laughs> hey? it's, it's funny because they, for the first hour of that game at Craven Cottage, yeah. that they absolutely passed Fulham off the pitch. They and, were magnificent. I was at that match. And, and they didn't win. <laughs> they, that, in fact, they, they not even did they win. They lost the game. They lost 2-1, didn't they? A bit of Bobby Zamora game. magic. I mean, it was yeah. one of the best goals Zamora would have scored in his career. I would have thought, I would like to suggest. I mean, he smashed it in from, I don't know how far out, in off the bar. But yes, of all the sides that Fulham played in the competition that year, and they played a, a few, Roma were a decent side, mm. Juventus. I mean, it, wasn't, yeah. it, was a, it was a poor Juventus side. Um, but still Juventus. By all accounts, but still Juventus. I mean, they played Hamburg um, and uh, uh, and of course Atletico Madrid in the final. I mean, of course, Atletico Madrid won the game. But actually, in terms of style, in terms of of play, other than Atletico, we'll say uh, Shakhtar were easily the best side Fulham played in the competition. How Fulham got through that game, I don't know. It came away after that first leg two one, thinking, "Blimey, that's got away with that kind of thing." Like you know, Shakhtar were magnificent that day, and then they got a one all draw away. I'm glad you felt confused that night, Marcus. I also felt confused. I mm. was um, it was my job to interview the players from both teams for um, for telly afterwards, mm-hmm. and um, I remember asking Luis Adriano, who I could see creeping into in in and out of the little cottage in the corner yeah. in just his sock feet. Um, I called out to him and said, "Luis, have you, have you got two minutes?" and um, he just ran down those little stairs yeah. and came out into the mix zone. And um, he said, uh, if you could hurry it up though, mate, because it is really cold here. <laughs> and I thought, you live in Donetsk. Yeah. What, yeah, what are well, you talking about? I mean, I know it's it quite was a cold. off the Thames. It was but... cold though, to be fair. <laughs> you can take the man out of Brazil, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but here we are. Well, Andy, a pleasure talking to you uh, about these uh, beautiful boys of Shakhtar Donetsk from 2009, um, the UEFA Cup win. Um, so there we are. I hope you've enjoyed it, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back next week with another team of our lives. But until then, thanks very much, Andy. Thank you. Thank you, good people. See you next week. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.